Welcome to episode 59 of the Contra Fabulous podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane. And we are home um, in sunny Hermosa Beach, which unlike previous 4th of July weekends, does not seem to be particularly um, hellacious. Yeah, things seem toned down a little bit. I mean, there's still a lot of people out there, and it seems pretty crazy. There was actually an article this week. I noticed in something like Travel and Leisure magazine about 4th of July in Hermosa Beach, and I'm hoping that people read it and decided to stay away. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Well, we've we've stocked up food, and and, uh, we're just kind of hibernating, trying to avoid the action. Yeah, because we're cool and celebratory that way. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this was a week, wasn't it? This was a this was a um, a very busy a busy week for education news, a busy week for political news, a busy week for tech news. I hardly know where to begin. Well, the tech comes and goes, but man, it seems like every week is just when it comes to politics and you know what's going on in Washington. Every week is is intense. We managed last week, last week's podcast, to not spend a lot of time talking. We talked about our own research um, and spent very little time talking about um, Trump. And I don't know if we even spent that much time talking about um, uh, future wannabe president Mark Zuckerberg. But I think this week we're going <laughs> to unfortunately return to um, re- return to discussing um these two. Um, There was a really, I thought, very interesting story in ProPublica this week um, by Julia Engwin, who wrote about, um, the the headline is, Facebook's secret censorship rules protect white men from hate hate speech, but not black children. Um, She examined a lot of internal documents that are given to um, both to people to humans who work as content moderators, but then also to the engineers that are building um, Facebook's algorithms in terms of the kinds of things that Facebook deems, um, I guess, the the kinds of things that that Facebook deletes because it deems them to be, quote-unquote, offensive. Yeah, it. I mean, I think what people don't realize about algorithms or artificial intelligence and because of some of the rhetoric around it they think they're just magically created i mean artificial intelligence is like grown in a petri dish and then you've got intelligence and it just knows but in reality these these scripts or 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 you know pieces of code have a set of rules to them and these begin as just rule books and lists that people uh, follow and create and this gets codified into what ultimately becomes algorithm. So, you know, how they set their policies in their in their rule book and guide their employees as well as who their employees are. I think that's another big part of the conversation really determines ultimately what happens manually from humans but also uh, automatically from algorithms. So, it's really I mean this this article is really interesting and there's a there's a slide in there that's so revealing and it's um, it's, it's sort of explaining, like, um, or it's like a quiz to to for the first someone to sort of say, do, like, do you know what sort of speech, like, who you should, um, who you should protect on Facebook, and the choices are, 
one female drivers, two black children, three white men, and you have to sort of decide who is the protected category whose speech needs whose speech should be protected. And the answer, according to Facebook, is white men. Um, and because it it um, both whiteness and both race and gender are protected categories, right? Therefore, white men is protected, but because driver is not a protected category and children is not a protected category, female drivers are not, should not be protected and black children should not be protected. Like this is, you know, this is, I mean, <laughs> you can, like you said, like we talk about AI as being this sort of like it as being intelligence, right? But like, that's a pretty basic, um, but a pretty basic piece of logic, right? This is sort of logic 101, but it's also ethically unsound. Well, it's, I mean, it's right. It's, or it's certainly not sophisticated enough to be used to be making these sorts of decisions. Well, no one's who came up with this or reviewed this obviously had someone in the room that said, Hey, uh, this might not be the right answer. This, maybe this, this, this whole quiz is flawed, but that's, I mean, as, as, nice looking as that boy band on the right looks to be it you know i i think i think you know i don't know i don't know why how this becomes codified in a way business operates and 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 becomes what selects how we all see our news this is crazy well i think that i mean i think that it's complicated on several levels and we've talked about we've talked about this we've talked about this a bunch i mean there's there's the piece of it that um, that you just identified, right? So, like, this is this is a guidance for human um, moderators, but then it becomes guidance for algorithmic decision making. Um, and so, it's built on a it's built on sort of flawed logic to begin with. So that's a problem. Um, but then there's also this question of, you know, Facebook insisting that it's a technology platform, not a media platform, right? And then, you know, thinking about you know, one of these things that you hear, I think, free speech advocates say all the time, and but and then people who challenge free or uh, who, who sort of question some of the rhetoric around free speech is that um, only the only the government can be a censor, right? Um, that that the that the that um, corporations can't be censors. That's not censorship. Um, but clearly, you know, clear and. So this is, you know, clearly Facebook is involved in censoring. Um, they're, uh, this, these are, you know, internal company documents that, that a journalist reported on. It's not particularly open or transparent about this process. Um, but also, you know, and we were just talking about this earlier this morning, like, you know, we, we have to recognize that corporations, particularly giant media technology companies like Facebook, are incredibly powerful and... Um, I wouldn't say rival the power of the state, right? Facebook doesn't have the Facebook doesn't have the authority to throw me in jail yet, but Facebook is incredibly powerful, and and we can't sort of dis we can't sort of only locate um, power and authority in in a nation state. But if these if these set of rules are 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 flagging us to to be put in specific buckets. That and then law enforcement is then uh, you know 
tapping in and paying attention to these buckets yeah, totally. and, and using these, these, this kind of these set of rules, with, no matter how far down the food chain they are. I mean, they, they could be Facebook employees that affected what got gathered, what got switched, what got flagged. And then, you know, things churn along and keep going. And then downstream, law enforcement goes, well, we want everyone that Facebook says is, you know, has posted something offensive more than 50 times in the state of whatever, you know, and then they can arrest you for that. Or law enforcement can open up a further investigation and, and violate your privacy and other things behind the scenes. So these things have lots of downstream effects. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's just, it, it, it's incredibly, it's incredibly complicated. And it's complicated too, of course, you know, the laws in the United States are are one thing. Different countries have have different laws about what kind of speech is protected speech and what kind of speech is, is um, hate speech, if you will, and what com- what companies have to do and what companies cannot do in terms of, quote-unquote, free speech. And so these things get, I think that these things, you know, with a, with a, with a technology, with a media like Facebook that, um, that has a global reach, um, does Facebook, you know, and the answer is yes, but does, you know, does Facebook censor things in Germany, censor things in Israel, that it opts not to censor in the U.S.? Um, and, you know, what is, how does that work? Um, how does that work algorithmically? Um, but then, you know, what kind of, um, what kinds of what kinds of decisions are being used um, by Facebook to decide, you know, to decide what kinds of things, what kinds of speech is, is dangerous, and who gets to be protected? And I think that, you know, I, um, I think that this question of who's 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 who is protected online is is uh, really important to think about. Well, there's there's a lot of things that are really being messed up by this current administration and and net neutrality is one of them and how how we view the priority of of you know i guess what is a regulated you know um platform or network that people can connect to what and i know facebook you know as you said wants to not be seen as a as a media entity but you know twitter facebook all of these don't want to be seen as like a utility and like become heavily regulated so they're trying to stay in this realm of this 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 new tech this new shiny entirely made up you know new thing that shouldn't be looked at you know uber wants to be that for transportation all these companies want to be tech and that's kind of why amazon i think is you know getting into you know grocery stores is 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 is, is this this position or this way we see technology um, allows for this kind of, I don't know, just totally changing and shifting in the landscape and going and, and doing things that wouldn't be allowed if you were a media company or if you're a, a you know, mainstream press or if you're a, tel- a telco provider. But um, basically, we need to start, you know, having a conversation about what all these layers are all the way from the network all the way up to the platform and and what gets censored what what is threats you know people should be sharing you know these platforms should be working together and going hey what are our biggest threats right now from you know russia and from iran and syria and all and these places but what are what you know what are the biggest threats that we're censoring and we're filtering out and the problem is is not only are we not having a discussion about this it's getting darker and darker and and the regulatory kind of effects and the government oversight's getting getting weaker and weaker well i mean i think that the you know the facebook the facebook thing is is so interesting i was 
you know, it's halfway through the year and I was starting to think about, <laughs> I'm already starting to think about, you know, what are going to, what are going to be the topics that I look at for my year in review um, project that I do, right? What are the, what are the dominant um, trends, if you will, in education technology? And so far this year, I think one of the, one of the ones I think are, is interesting to think about is this question of um, media literacy, digital literacy, and fake news. And of course, you know, Facebook is so implicated in this and the, and, uh, and not just, I mean, I don't, it's not just Facebook, right? And, and it's not just Twitter. Um, but the way in which, you know, these platforms have really, um, accelerated, accelerated the spread and the, the reach and spread of people who are, who are really profiting off of, um, conspiracy theories and, and deliberate sort of manipulation of stories. Um, but again, like, so this idea of, you know, what is, you know, Facebook again, it wants to insist that it's not a media company so that it doesn't, it doesn't want to be in, in the business of sort of an editorial control of, of fact checking the way in which, you know, the editors at the Washington Post, for example, or even CNN have obligations, journalistic obligations to, um, to fact check and to correct the record when they get their reporting wrong. Um, Facebook wants to insist that it doesn't have to, doesn't have to take part in that. Um, so it's, it's, you know, but then, you know, it's been under pressure, particularly after the spread of, of misinformation, um, around the election, the U.S. election and around the Brexit election, you know, Facebook is, I think, sort of, some folks are pressuring Facebook to do more to be able to flag, you know, to, for people to, so, for example, be able to flag stories as fake, as fake news. Um, and I heard this week rumors that Twitter is going to, um, to adopt something like this as well, where you can flag a tweet as fake and this is so, I mean, you know, thinking about how this is what a ludicrous suggestion that is with, um, like, I just don't even know, like, it's, <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. Like, it's just this, these, these sort of technological solutionism that these, and that these engineers and product designers come up with instead, of, instead, I think of being a lot more honest, um, about, about what, you know, about their about what their company actually does. And, you know, and this week was such a great example of that. A couple of, you know, a couple of pieces of this that tie into hate speech, inciting violence online, and the activities of um, our shit poster in chief, right, um, Trump, who ha all week has been sort of fairly unhinged with the things that he's been saying about various people in the media on Twitter. Um, but then also NASA... <laughs> had to issue a statement this week correcting misinformation on um, InfoWars. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I thought it was, I mean, it feels like these things are onion, you know, post type posts, but when you actually see that NASA actually had to spend the time and issue a response saying that it is not hiding kidnapped children on Mars because this whack job has been given um, not just a, a platform via, you know, the, the Trump administration kind of legitimization because of that, but also because of what we talked about with Facebook and kind of... Well, you know, but the, they were also legitimized by Megyn Kelly 
um, on NBC last weekend, right? Yeah, I mean, this is this is what everyone, you know, or a lot of people complain about the media, you know, being wrong with the media. and just really does show how, how ill the media can be from time to time as far as endorsing these types of things. But this is, you know, Alex Jones, you know, and, and the network of this kind of sites is their bread and butter is, is Facebook and Twitter advertising and getting, you know, getting pumped up and juiced up because of Facebook's and Twitter and other platforms and Google's you know, um, advertising business model, focused business model, rather than, you know, I mean, back to that techno, techno solutionism, we have to have a button that someone essentially clicks on a regular basis and crowdsources what is reality and what is not. Like that is some sort of solution rather than having a conversation about what is actually driving our business model and what actually makes these things spread like wildfire. Um, we're going to actually add more tech onto it. This is why we have the technical debt that we have. And um, it, it doesn't do any good as far as helping, you know, deal with, you know, what's wrong with the media and what's already and what's wrong with the present and the Fox news, I guess the Alex Jones of the world. It's funny that, like literally Alex Jones makes money selling snake oil. Like he's like, he sells herbal supplements and advertising for, um, fake medicine on his website. And then also peddles these horrific anti-science, um, but like also, um, incredibly hateful, um, uh, stories as well. Um, so, you know, but but then we have, but that's, but we have this, the president, the president of the United States, also participating in this, and so it like it feels as though like I mean, and when I use the word ship posting, like this is a this is a deliberate tactic of online trolls in terms of vulgarity and um, bullying and. Um, I think, sort of psychotic behavior, right? Sociopathic behavior online. No empathy or sort of understanding of um, the the people that they might be hurting, but acting out in this really um, uh, trollish way. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, Facebook and Twitter, on one hand, I, you know, I think that they like they're they're profiting from this. I mean, I think as much as you know, as much as it probably um, like bothers Mark Zuckerberg, you know, on a certain level. As much as it bothers um, Jack Dorsey, you know, woke Jack, the woke CEO. Like they they are bound to this other model of. Um, of clicks and of data that really that it's sort of incompatible you can't actually address one and with like you can't actually address this problem and I think it's a problem of the media as well it's not just a problem of these two particular social social media platforms it's this sort of ad driven click driven um business model that they've adopted that actually is about inciting hate and really sort of and and spreading ignorance that is CNN's business model as well. I mean, CNN is funded by pharmaceuticals as well as Alex Jones. It's just a different sort of, you know, I mean, it's all caught up in this 
moment that's really um, it's really horrifying to watch. Well, it's it's a great example of how how this stuff is is being baked in our algorithm algorithms. These are you know we have you know the fake news on both the Facebook and the the Twitter side being a, a response to an ill-equipped group of pretty much mostly men making decisions that really didn't think about what would happen when they put these platforms out there. And then as things progressively are getting worse and trolls rise, things happen, they're totally ill-equipped to identify and see these things as problems because their focus on the problems that they have are directly in alignment with their business model. So they're not seeing these these you know uh, problems with racism and misogyny and other things that are rising up and they were totally you know Mark Zuckerberg was totally in denial about Facebook's role in 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 this election but now they're they're baking in this this response this this fake news button flag alert whatever you do in response to this mostly led by again white men on the other side so it's just like kind of this this new way of of waging war with again men on both sides of the front line doing horrible things to each other but then how we build technology in this environment this this cyber insecure environment is like the worst possible way we could actually be applying technology in our life and making anyone's life better but not only are we we doing that we're doubling down we're we're quadrupling down we're automating we're pushing this forward and baking this into our algorithms and making automated decisions based upon just you know just the worst people in the pos- in the world you know hammering it out on both sides well i mean this is why you know twitter's suggestion of adding a fake news flag as fake news thing is so ridiculous because i mean can you, like i can just imagine the way that that would be wielded against any tweet that the new york times issued right um and i think anyone who spent any time on the internet and it always boggles my mind that the people who seem to be building many of these technologies have not spent any time on the internet like i don't know where where they go but like if you've spent any time you know that sort of flagging things right flagging things as inappropriate is one of like it's like it is like trolling and harassment 101 and so you know a bunch of people could sort of you could flag um uh report Trump's tweet this morning, right? His his tweet about with that it depicts him body slamming, um, uh, sort of violently body slamming uh, CNN. Or you could flag that as you could flag that as whatever you know whatever Twitter's um, process is. Hundreds of people could, right? But then also know that. But when Twitter evaluates that, when Twitter sits down, they probably have a a a a book of rules the same way that Facebook does. And the president of the United States tweets are not going to be flagged. Whereas a bunch of people go after, um, you know, go after a, a, an African-American woman, for example, and say if, who, who, who might be calling out racism and her stuff, you know, she gets her, her account, Locked, right? So you, know, you see this all the time. So people who um, who call out white supremacists on Twitter and on Facebook um, find themselves getting their accounts 
um, banned or locked. Um, and then, you know, when, when the conservative media picks up on it, sometimes find themselves actually being like violently threatened in person, losing their job, you know, threats of losing their jobs. And yet these kinds of things in reverse, these platforms really serve to protect the, the interests, even if the, even even if those interests are white supremacist, misogynist, racist interests, it's, it's sort of built into the. It's sort of it's hardware. It's hard hardwired in the algorithms. It's part of the culture. It's part of the priorities. Um, it's so deeply embedded in the way in which these technologies are built and are wielded that it's really hard to undo. Like I want to shift really quick quickly before we run out of time today, but like there was a story in the New York Times this week, um, and it follows on the heels of reports, I guess a week or so ago, that um, a, a venture capitalist at, oh no, I can't, I didn't pull up the story in advance, but the a venture capitalist at a particular firm um, had been charged with making women feel very uncomfortable with sexually harassing women as part of their pitch process. Um, uh, and so the the New York Times followed up, interviewed a bunch of a bunch of women. Oh, see, I found it. Um, his name was uh, a guy from Binary Capital, Justin Callback from Binary Capital. So who allegedly had been kind of a sleazeball when it came to interacting with women, um, female entrepreneurs who were pitching his, his VC firm. So the New York Times followed up, interviewed a bunch of, um, a bunch of women about their experiences and several very, very, very well-known men in, in investors are sort of implicated in in uh, this culture of ongoing sexual harassment of women. And, you know, uh, folks in Silicon Valley, men in Silicon Valley are act as though this is like shocking. They just can't believe it. And I told, I, when I told you the names of one of the people um, in this New York Times story, you were like, oh yeah, I mean, obviously, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, I mean, this is obvious. This isn't news. Like, this, this is isn't not, news. this isn't like hidden, this isn't simply hidden behavior that nobody knows about. This is the sort of, um, this is so apparent that this is what's, what's going on. And these are, you know, these are big names. I mean, one of the people is Chris Saka, who appears on Shark Tank on television. I mean, probably for most Americans, Chris Saka is like, probably if you ask most people, if they watch television, like who name a venture capitalist, they're going to say Mark Cuban or Chris Saka because they're on TV. They're not familiar with the sort of names, the way in which sort of you and I are as being closer, you know, industry analysts. Um, so Chris Saka, he's a TV star known for being a venture capitalist, and he's one of these one of these perps. I don't understand how you could be surprised by this, and at all speak. Especially as a dude, like speak saying this is a surprise to you that this has happened and this might be another one off situation when we have Trump as a president. You know, it's like when look at what we're glorifying, look at what we're we're setting up on this pedestal as rock stars right now. It's 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 these people who honestly really don't deserve it just because they were in the right right time, you know, with the right network of people as the Internet was unfolding. And there was a lot of opportunity that somehow they're like these amazing people. And with the amount of money that you have swirling around those circles with the, some of these awful people, 
it's not a surprise. So I so, don't see how anybody can defend it. So this it. is, I mean, and this is what really, you know, this is, you know, part of my, the research that I'm doing at, um, for, for my Spencer Fellowship is to, you know, I'm really interested in identifying who are the, who are these sort of networks of investors and then policymakers and where do their ideas come from and how do their ideas spread. And I often use the example of the PayPal mafia as a group of Silicon Valley investors, a couple of them billionaires who are really... Um, who were early employees, founders of, of PayPal, who are, who've gone on to sort of found several um, successful companies who are investors and I think who shape a lot of the conversations because of being, um, because of the, the wealth um, with, with selling PayPal that they accumulated, have gone, been able to go on and shape these conversations, shape the culture of the tech industry, right? And these are, these are again, well-known names. This is Elon Musk. Right. This is Peter Thiel. This is Reid Hoffman, um, who proposed this week a decency pledge. Right, that investors should sign a decency pledge, whatever the hell that means. And you know who else? Who else is part of? Who else is part of the PayPal mafia? Dave McClure. Dave McClure, who's one of the people in this New York Times article, um, and the guy I was sort of alluding to earlier, that so obviously is a creep to women, like that, uh, you know, and so if you think about how powerful those figures are, Elon Musk, right, who's, um, uh, you know, whose first divorce was sort of in the sort of tech tabloid press, um, uh, Peter Thiel, who... Um, Keith Raboys, that's another person who's known to have protested outside a gay professor's um, house and calling him um, the F word. Uh, these, are, these are not particularly um, nice people, and yet they're funding these companies. That means that in the, the decision of who gets funded, they are shaping those, they're making those decisions. They're selecting other people who fit a mold to build products that fit their ideology, but that also match what they expect to see, what they expect an entrepreneur to look like. I mean, literally to look like. Um, and so it's no surprise that Twitter is a vehicle for harassment. It's no surprise that Facebook is a vehicle for, for um, sort of racist censorship because this is, the, this is so deeply embedded in, in the culture. And then when, when these stories bubble up, as they do every once in a while, everyone just sort of fans themselves with how shocked they are that this, is, that this is a problem. I mean, this is so deeply ingrained in the culture in the code, um, and it dictates everything from what gets built um, to how it gets built, and who's building it. And you know this this idea that um, we should be surprised that 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 this is, you know, this is that that, that this is all turned so so dark so quickly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I look forward to doing that part of your research where we really connect the dots behind who's just specifically funneling into ed tech because I think that's the most relevant piece and one of the the scariest pieces of our society that's under attack by this kind of this world that you know that that's wielding so much power um 
but also I think as that this new world is colliding with the old world money, we're starting to see things like blockchain and artificial intelligence and you know the kind of Peter Thiel, Thiel level surveillance companies like Palantir become really appealing to this this old money and these. Um, but investor you know, money is old money. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's really not, you know, but the, I think the narrative likes to think that this, you know, VC money is this whole new world of of life-changing money that, that, that is focused on good. And, and uh, you know, while I'm starting to see some of, you know, I'm starting to see people question, you know, the startup culture, the, the, the tech stuff a little bit more, but these people still really have quite a grip on the narrative when it comes to making change and how things happen, despite all the evidence of, what this this kind of type of disruption can do to our elections, to our democracy, to our workplace culture, to our communities, um, and we, you know, it's it's fascinating how people are are still captivated by it in, in such large large groups. It it's t- it's so interesting to me that you know that this you know that this is such a prof like we talk about this as this you know, profound, the sort of the shift to the digital is such a profound change, but in some, in so many ways, it's, um, it's, it's not particularly profound. It's just particularly dystopian, right? Um, I was talking with, uh, our friend Timon, um, about some work that he's doing on neo-feudalism and just thinking about what we, what we're seeing is in some ways, like, this backlash, what we're seeing is a backlash to a couple hundred years of democracy, right? Um, we're seeing, what we're seeing is sort of corporate, corporations, and it's not, it's not sort of markets run amok, but it's, it's capitalism, it's capitalism run amok. And, um, and I think what we have to recognize as part of this is the, are the ways in which, um, you know, integral to the the practices of capitalism are these hierarchies um, and these exploitations that are based on gender, right? That are based on race, um, that are based on you know your your geographic location, your national origin, um, and and so the sort of freedom that the sort of freedom that I think that digital technologies have liked to talk about themselves as in terms of, right? In, in many ways, if you think about like John Perry Barlow kind of rhetoric, it has been a freedom from the government that, the, that cyberspace has sort of promised. But instead, what it's given us is this rise of these sort of very anti-democratic forces that are really eager to, um, to exploit us and to sort of really you know, despite all the talk of the end of work, right, that to really sort of um, enlist us in this new model of working for, like, you know, of working for them without any remuneration, but in this way that's about, you know, extracting our data, and then also not just sort of, so, and not just the sort of financial um, damage of capitalism, but this sort of psychic damage that we are all experiencing by having to, well, by having to like getting push notifications on our phone to tell us that the president of the United States is attacking a journalist for a facelift. Yeah, well, I think 
capitalism's been doing just fine on its own for many years, but I think now that it's... <laughs> well, whatever um, that means, yeah. I think what it's been weaponized and kind of, you know, augmented with this new technology and, and made real-time disruption or whatever, whatever, and as it's being set on education, democracy, healthcare, all these aspects of our world, uh, um, I, it's it's tough to see how we're going to resist all of this and how we're going to you know, the, the systems and institutions we have in place are going to withstand, you know, the weight of these assaults, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that's, that's the part, I think, to that we have to be really, I think, paying, you know, paying very close attention to, because I think that that's, that's the part that is quite troubling, is that the institutions that I think we have for a very long time trusted to stand in the way of the worst the worst of the worst of these things right the, the things that were supposed to protect us from the things that were supposed to protect us from sort of capitalism run amok is the government the things that were supposed to protect us from um from the government run amok is the media the things that were supposed to protect us from the media run amok is education um and uh, all of those things seem to be um like you say you know the, the, the tech industry is really sort of joyfully saying that it's disrupting and destroying these these things, but these are the core institutions, flawed as they might be, that I think have sort of kept things not teetering off, um, not teetering off in these sort of particularly, I mean, it's all sort of like the, the, the there's, it's always damaging, it's always been damaging, but I, I think that there have been there have been um, institutions and practices and regulations and laws in place that have ameliorated some of it. And I think what we see under Trump, sure, but what we see under Silicon Valley is really the, um, the erosion of this very quickly. Um, and it's quite frightening. It is very frightening. Well... That was uplifting. Yeah. Well, until next week, I guess. Until next week.